It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG, make the difference. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. Hello, and welcome to the BBC Country Farm Magazine podcast. In this episode, our very own Maria Hodson is in conversation with the naturalist and TV presenter Nick Baker. We recorded this interview last year, but could only fit a tiny part of it into the print magazine. And Nick is such a hugely engaging speaker on wildlife and environmental issues that it's well worth hearing the whole brilliant interview with him. This is the first of three instalments, and here he talks about his connections to the rural world where he goes to escape modern life, and what music he listens to, among many other things. It really is a joy. What is your connection to the countryside? What is my connection to the countryside? Mm. Um, well, it's always been there. We're, we're, we're all connected to it one way or the other. Even though I, I was born in, um, in sort of, I guess, urban Surrey, my, uh, um, my parents, having had a, a relatively urban upbringing, wanted us to have the childhood they never had. So being rather forward-thinking, they uh, they moved from Surrey out to the Sussex countryside. In fact, eventually they bought a house they couldn't really afford, um, which was um, surrounded had about an acre of land. It's right on the edge of a disused railway line. It had fields and woods all around it and some of my dad's old favourite fishing holes. So that's how it started, really, because it, 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 it was there. It was an adventure just waiting to be had. Um, and it's always been part of my life, and uh, and I'm still having exactly. In fact, I'm literally just running the door now, having been hacking my way through a dogwood thicket, trying to trying to find the cause of a stream. Um, <laughs> and and it's just it's like it was two fully grown adult men doing this, thinking, Do you know, this is this is we we did this when we were ten, and we were having just the same sort of fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's there at every level, whether it's me teaching um, uh, people folk they can be uh, older older people or they can be uh, students pupils um about how to 
just empowering them really to be out in nature and, and see it through my eyes, which uh, I look at it as being a sort of very non-threatening, um, healthy place to be and hang out. Absolutely. What's your favourite outdoor occupation? <clears throat> sitting down under a tree, <laughs> just sitting still and letting the world unfold around me. Um, it's the best way of seeing things. You can chase wildlife around um, as much as you like. And I spent an awful lot of my life doing that, partly down to time constraints. We, we always feel that if we, if we speed up the process and close the gap between us and the wild species, it, it makes more efficient use of our time. But more often than not, those magic moments occur when you're not really in that space. You're just being. And, uh, yeah, the, the nowadays in my slightly, you know, slightly cluttered life with a family and all the rest of it and all the things that go with that, having time to just stop and sit down on a day like today, which is absolutely blistering hot uh, summer solstice, yeah. <laughs> it would be just to sit out under a tree and uh, find someone with a little bit of a breeze and, and just sit there and let the world unfold. And I've had in, in, in the past, I guess fishing was what taught me all this. Um, not that I'm a, a great angler, but my dad, my dad is a very keen fisherman and I used to accompany him. It's one of the few areas we had a lot, it had in, in common. So I'd accompany him. And as much as I didn't really like the whole catching fish thing, um, it was the only way I could see these amazing secretive creatures that live below the surface and whose world was so alien to us. So when my dad was sort of pit pulling them out, I was more into the fish than I was the act of fishing, if you see what I'm saying. It was only when mm. I, just, I learned to dive and snorkel and keep an aquarium that my interest in fishing waned. But what it did teach me was standing around on a riverbank with a stick in your hand is actually exactly what I just talked about. It's my favorite occupation, just standing there, uh, sitting there, staying motionless. And you see so much. It could be a kingfish. It could be a family of otters going bundling by. It could be a badger that appears on the bank behind you because it's it's trying to get down to the river to drink or cross. It could be the, the, a dragonfly. You could watch behavior unfold, not just see a species, but see them doing things. And if you are quiet and you sit down and just wait, you see behavior, not just the species themselves, but you see them doing stuff and going about their business rather than flying or running away from you as you go crashing through their world. So, yeah, to sit there and sort of meditate, I guess it is meditation of a sort. It's, it's, uh, and, and a lot of the things I talk about um, in, in the Rewild book are about running through your senses, learning to hone those senses and become more aware. And if you've stopped moving if you stop making noise you stop moving you've you you sit there and just concentrate on the world around you and start thinking about everything that's in the moment around you that's how you start that's one of the ways you can really start connecting and uh, and and you see things i remember falling out actually lying under a tree with a um uh with an ex-girlfriend and a mole i remember a mole ran across my belly just <laughs> popped out of the soil and ran across and then back down to the soil i've never seen anything like that since um probably never see it again but sitting there still under a under a tree is when it happened i've, I've had um with my my wife before she was my wife we we went out um to look at the venue where we were going to get married which was in the woods um we, we got married in the woods mm. and they're, they're some of my favorite woods and they're, they're beautiful woods and it was right at the sort of the bluebell seasons so all the bluebells are out and we were sitting there just taking it all in and thinking yeah this is the place and um and a badger just comes trundling along broad daylight through the bluebells uh, a more perfect image of a, a spring evening you couldn't possibly have hoped for and again i didn't go looking for that i just sat down and it found me that's lovely. That's really lovely. Um, you, you mentioned your book, Rewild, and um, mm. in, in that you write that we are all born naturalists. What do you mean by yeah. that? 
Well, we all are born, um, give or take a few uh, unfortunate individuals who, who don't have um, the full quota of senses, but generally speaking, we're all born with the same abilities. And you, know, you sit, at, I mean, I was watching my daughter when she was brand new, sitting, sitting her in a pushchair, and she would spot things. She would just see a fly moving on the ceiling or a spider. She would notice tiny details. She's tuned in. She's open and curious. And what happens is as we grow up, we close down various avenues of curiosity. We, we, we start being, um, our prejudices of, of the rest of the world start having an effect. And we start growing up far too quickly. And we grow up into an artificial world, which is designed by us for us. So as a consequence, the, 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 thing, the exercises we need to go through, those just general awareness of the world around us get missed, they get skipped. Um, but I, I believe when you know you, you, we start off all with the same basic fundamental abilities to to connect. So when people come out for a walk with me now and they go, "How oh, you know the bird? How do you know all that bird song? I mean, it's crazy. How do you understand? How do you know that's one of those? And how do you know that's one?" Of, and you're th- I go and look at the thing. Well, it's because it's it was something. It was a priority. It's I listened to them right from the, the beginning. But rather than somebody telling me. Um, not to stop wasting my time or to hey listen to this record instead. I kind of went in a different direction, and I'm I'm using. So I've got I've got friends of mine, and fact I've got relatives of mine. Um, I won't name names, but who collects records of trains. <laughs> so he has vinyl vinyl um, discs of train sound, wow. and he can sit there and and he can he can hear and identify the engine, the specific That's engine. Amazing. He can tell yeah. you what it is. The individual train from the sounds. Now, he's he's just applying it to a different world. Um, <clears throat> you can um, uh, take a younger example. You could be taking. Um, I, I hear cars going by all the time with music playing in them. I have no idea what the music is. It's not my scene. Um, but I bet you, if someone went by with a radio playing loud in the car, and they were playing Freddie King, uh, Hideaway, for example, which is my kind of music. Mm. If I heard just that little lick of guitar, I would be there. I'd know exactly what it was. And it's the same with nature. And it's just we've, we train ourselves to, to, to look at our artificial world and not the, the world of, of the countryside and the, the, the natural sounds. Um, and I think we could. And, and my, my knowledge has come from just living in it. It's not, I, wasn't, and I didn't intentionally become a naturalist. I didn't go, right, I'm going to be a naturalist today. It just happened. And, and I believe um, if you speak to any country folk, any people that are truly connected, I mean truly connected to the environment, because I know I know farmers that are, and I know farmers that aren't. So, um, but it's like if someone who really does resonate with the world around them and really is connected to the the natural cycles, etc. They'll, they'll tell you most of the birds they hear they hear singing, or they certainly, but they give you a um, some kind of context to the sound, and and that's what it is. I believe we're all naturalists at heart, and it's because we we've sort of lent away from it, and um, and 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 the skills that I guess I've got, which I barely consider skills now, although. More and more, I'm, I'm being asked to deploy them as skills in order to empower and uh, inspire others. The reality is they're not really skills. This is what every single 10-year-old should be able to do. Um, and now I'm teaching 10-year-olds to be 10-year-olds, which is madness, but that seems to be the way of the world. So maybe like along the same lines, how would you um, define the relationship between people and the land these days? Well, we. What's crazy is we. Even though I guess the, the the heyday of the naturalist would have been the sort of Victorian period, but at that time, nature was is very much there to be um, dominated, 
and mm. tamed. And, and, and we're still doing that. We still have a very Victorian attitude to nature. And we're always tidying up. I could walk out the door where I am now and I could, within a few meters, I'd start being able to notice areas which we could let go a little bit. Verges are my, especially now at the peak of summer when the wildflowers are at their peak and they're, they're most useful for, you know, the bees. We see it in the newspapers all the time. The bees are declining. We're losing all the pollinators. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, it's a disaster. Um, and then we, you go out and then you'll see that the council's pay, spending our money, right? This <laughs> our tax money. Mm. that we've paid them uh, with, with great trust. They are then scrimming and cutting and tidying the verges. Mm, now, yeah. their argument will always be that's to do with safety because obviously animals could step out into the road and cause an accident. But there's un- studies on the continent where they've, uh, they've let verges grow and it turns out that it actually calms down traffic because you can't see around the corner. Mm. You slow down, which makes it safer. So there's another way of looking at all these things. And, and, and our, our relationship with nature, I say, is a very unhealthy one at the moment. We have a very, very twisted idea of what's right, what's wrong, mainly because of something called shifting baseline syndrome, which is we've grown up, we've known what's, we, we see what's flying around or what's, what, what's growing when we're children, and that becomes the norm. Um, and then we base that, our, the rest of our life, on that experience because that's what we've known. But what you don't realize is that, you know, your parents were experiencing a completely different world and you know, your grandparents were experiencing a, a different world yet again. And you go back, if I went back to when my grandparents were kids, not only were there less humans on the planet, of course, but there was so much more uh, biodiversity, so much more diversity of life. Wildlife was everywhere. There was decent dawn choruses. Um, that, but I'm not saying that things weren't already declining. You know, we'd already lost the wolf and the bear and all those things. So, you know, we've been basically stripping our our landscape. Our green and pleasant land is, is it might be green, but it's far from pleasant. Um, mm. it, we, we've been stripping it ever since we've been here. And what's getting to the point, in in, in ecological terms, in evolutionary terms, what we're experiencing now is, is, is uh, what we've done to the land since we first appeared on it, uh, since that we first started, we invented axes and things, is, is actually a, a blink of an eye. So it might seem a long time, uh, you know, the, the dark ages, the middle ages seem like a long time away for us now, but the reality is, as far as nature is concerned, they're not. It's just, just yesterday. And uh, as a consequence, we are, we've done an awful lot of damage, and we don't know what the, the impact of this is really going to be. We're beginning to understand. We're beginning to understand there's climate change is linked into all this, our lack of compassion for living things, um, how we're quite happy to effectively pollute our water and license our pollution of our waters, our rivers, um, our oceans are being dredged continuously. And it's this continuous, it's this, you know, it, it's nature is being hammered at every single angle. And what's crazy is it's not a them and us situation. Mm. We need this stuff. This is essential to every single aspect of every single life. It's the most relevant subject there is. But because we live in a, a man-made bubble, we are kept distant from it. And, uh, and that's what reconnecting with nature is really important. I mean, that's why it's so important for me, is that if you start valuing it in a way that doesn't necessarily stack up as pounds and pence, which sadly is how we justify everything nowadays, but if we can actually make it stack up in a way that we simply care about it because it makes us feel good, which, let's face it, is the very basics of, uh, of being healthy anyway, um, and that leads on to mental health and physical health and a whole bunch of other things, um, you know, unless we start realising this, this this true value of nature, um, we are very, very lost species indeed. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, 
In terms of today's kind of uh, modern hurly-burly and uh, sort of technological assault, um, if you ever find that overwhelming, where do you personally go in Britain to get away from it all? Uh, And what do you do to relax? I just turn my phone off. Um, As anyone will tell you, I'm infuriating to get hold of. I will turn my phone off and I'll walk away and I'll just go. I've got a couple of little places I call my thinking spots. I sound a bit like Winnie the Pooh when I say this. (laughs) That's Um, great. Winnie the Pooh, there's a a connected character right there. Um, I grew up, weirdly enough, I grew up in Winnie the Pooh land. Um, I um, I used to learn to bird watch in 500 acre wood or 100 acre wood as it's it's known. And uh, I used to rode my BMX through Rue Sandy Pit and a whole bunch of other things which I probably probably shouldn't have done but um but yeah Winnie the Pooh was a great philosopher and a great uh, great naturalist as well um but yeah I'm, I'm with that sort of uh, um philosophy with my Winnie the Pooh philosophy I I find myself a little quiet uh, space and usually it's a nice viewpoint so I climb up to the top of a hill and look down on where I live I'm lucky enough to live on the edge of Dartmoor so I can climb up to one of the hills and look towards the moor but I can see my my little community nestled in the hills below me. And it just kind of puts everything in perspective. But then I, it doesn't last long. I look up there and then I start thinking about how this landscape would have all once upon a time been wooded. And then <laughs> yeah. I start thinking about why, why, when was the last wolf running across this landscape? When was the last, when was the last bear here? Because, of course, you know, a lot of what we're seeing are the remnants of that same ecosystem that should have bears and wolves and lynx and all those things in it. So, so there is all that going on in my head as well. But generally, to get, a, you know, to get the best I can as close as I can to home is I recommend that anyone finds a little thinking spot somewhere special to them in their own patch, which is accessible. And it doesn't have to be in the countryside. It can just be a little unstructured green space. It could be a little bit of waste ground. It could be, it could be a, the corner of the park that no one gets to. I mean, you know, it's, it's as simple as that, but you need to get away. You need to, to turn away from the screen, turn the phone off and go out. And of course, going out at night is quite good. So um, again, I, I, I write about this in the book, which is uh, most of us are, are active during the day. And then, by night we tend to surround ourselves with with artificial daylight so we don't actually so if you want if if, if your definition of adventure and exploration is um new experiences it's about you know an experience you haven't had before which is pretty much the definition of adventure i guess and exploration then the best thing you can do the easiest thing to do is to go out at night just go out at night without a torch even and you'll find yourself in a whole heap of different situations which which are exciting you know they really are exciting just take the world you're familiar with and turn it on its on its side and look at it from a different angle from a different time a different perspective and you will see another world and uh, and and that's quite a good thing to do so yeah going out you know if i really wanted to get uh, feel wild just go out for a walk at night just go out to the woods at night and just just sit there and interesting enough, i've had some people say to me well that's all very well nick you're a bloke and it's easier for blokes to do this um but again it's it's a case of we are often fearful of nothing um and i do even though we do um publicize the risks the stranger danger all the things that stop us going wild um we do that that, that it seems much more prevalent now than ever before the reality is it's it's not it's just the way it is there's always been a certain percentage of society which is 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 messed up like that and as a consequence there's a sunny percentage of society which one needs to be careful and aware of um, and make it, mucking around in the woods isn't necessarily a, a risky activity at all. It's just you need to sort of, you know, but find your safe woods. Find somewhere safe, somewhere you feel safe. Otherwise, it defeats the object. But um, and, and connect to it. And the other thing is you own it in a different way. When you get to know a place after dark or you get to know a place and you get to know it at all, all times of the day, all seasons, you get really intimately familiar with it. Then 
then you it, you belong to it. You have the edge on anybody else that might be there anyway. So you know you own it. Then you've you've you've, you've claimed it for yourself, and uh, and that is empowering in its own right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what's the most beautiful natural site you've seen in Britain? Oh. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> you are asking me so many. These are so difficult questions. I mean, I can, I could tell. I mean, I've, I've just been sitting on the edge of a chalk stream, just to make on the edge of the River Itch, and just watching the, uh, the beautiful demoiselles and the banded demoiselles, which are the most glorious of the dragonflies, all just dancing around, oh, um, in the full, in the dappled sun on, on these crystal clear, gin clear chalk stream with grayling, which is my favourite British fish dancing around under the surface and the male grayling is one of the most spectacular it's more like a dragon than a fish it's a beautiful big dorsal fin which is gleams with all these sort of pinks and reds and blues and yellows and spots and it's just gorgeous so that was a scene i had literally 15 minutes before um oh, wow. i picked up the phone and started this interview so that was pretty special um it's difficult. A drift dive down one of the tidal locks in Scotland is something which is hard to beat. But then saying that, so tipping out the back of the back of the car down at um, um, Babacombe, um in South Devon, and literally just you know getting to a the car park, you know putting on the dive kit and then just wading off into the water, and suddenly you're immersed in a world of cuttlefish and which are alien beings anyway. Um, you know, cuttlefish and mm. smooth sharks and all sorts of other cool things. So, and, and you know, our basking sharks, I love basking sharks. That's the most amazing wildlife experience I've ever had. And that was in British Isles as well. So, you know, where do, where do, where do you start with things with a question like that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, and the other thing is, if I want to see something for the first time, I can just go and do it now. Just jump in the river, put a snorkel and mask on, jump in the river, go and see the freshwater fish, like you would see the ones at the seaside without any kind of question. No one points a finger at you and stares at you if you put on a mask and fins and snorkel. And uh, and do it on the beach, but if you do it on the riverbank, everyone thinks you're a freak. But do it, have a go, and you'll see a whole world, and you'll understand a world completely differently if you if you actually climb in. You know, so it, it, it it's an impossible question to answer. So thank Fair you. Fair enough. No, but, thank uh, you. but literally, I mean, you can find it anywhere you look, and and you know, none of our lives are uh, um, are long enough to properly explore everything but yeah i'm looking at a brick wall from where i'm sitting and i'm looking at it now out the window and i've noticed there's some lichen on it that um i know if i zoomed in on that and got down there with my hand lens i'd see another little like a little fairy world full of lots of strange creatures little bark lice there'd be pseudo scorpions and mites and there'll be um all sorts of creatures there'd be water bears in there as well like a little forest of weird creatures right there on one brick um, and it just requires, and, and if, you know, if, you, if I want to find myself a, another brand new, beautiful, best experience, I just have to go out and look for it and I'll find it. So there you have it. Loads of inspiration and heartening advice from Nick Baker. You can hear more from him in the next episode where he talks about his rural heroes, what he'd like to change about the countryside if he could, and his best ever wildlife encounter. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch, please email me, Fergus Collins, at editor at countryfile.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more by searching for BBC Countryfile magazine on iTunes or Acast. And there's plenty more about the British countryside at our website, countryfile.com. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>